0: Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top part show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
2: Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to have a mailbag episode. Haven't done one in a while. Uh, we'll probably do a couple of these over the course of this offseason. But as we're getting into the off season, we've got March Madness going on right now, watching some potential Lakers draft picks in the tournament and whatnot. We want to answer some of your questions, kind of wrapping up this season and then, again, looking forward. So let's get right into it, Darius. I'm going to start a hot and heavy. My man Hoop in Detail says, To what degree are you dangling Kuz as a trade ship? this summer feels like he's the young guy that isn't integral to the team and will be dangled for a vet or can be dangled for a young guy on his tier that fits better and or you have more faith in
2: oh man so you came in I know 100... right getting right write it right there yeah, huh? yeah. yeah. Uh, kuzma's an interesting guy the answer to this question for me is really what is the more realistic projection for kuzma is it rookie Kyle kuzma or is it some of the regression Kyle Kuzma that we've seen this season.
1: Let's say it's let's say for argument's sake it's somebody in between. Not quite the shooter he was as a rookie, but not as bad as he was this year. And I think that that's probably the major difference in his game from one year to the next.
2: I think if that's the case, then I'm not sure what his trade value is, to tell you the mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's best suited as a sixth man. Yeah. And I'm not sure what you get for a third-year player who projects as a sixth man, even if he's on his rookie-scale con contract. That is an excellent deal, right? Basically, like, less than a veteran's minimum type of contract or around that that, that same amount um, with team control next season and the season after that before he actually enters into restricted free agency and and so i always like to look at these questions from the perspective of what is his actual value not necessarily if the lakers should be dangling him because what his value is is the most important part of the equation because the lakers can dangle him all he like like all they want but If they're not going to get anyone who's significantly better than him or actually a better fit, then I'm not sure what the purpose is. I think he can fit fine on this team if he's slotted appropriately. Are you higher on him? I'm not necessarily down on him. I just think that this season showed me that he probably had too big of a role for for how he actually played this season.
1: I wouldn't say that I'm down on Kuz, but I do think you're talking, it's a completely different conversation when he's not a reliable three-point shooter. He does not have the defensive value of like Lonzo and Brandon. And so what comes along with those guys is questionable spot up ability, right? You cannot rely on them to shoot at a high end. Now they can get there. That's just not something that you can rely on at this point. I am willing to keep rolling with them because I think that they provide a lot on the other end of the court and in other aspects of the game with their ball handling. Brandon's really come a long way as an isolation scorer. Lonzo's passing—we, you know, we didn't know what Lonzo can do and his impact on the game. For me, a guy like Coos, like if you're going to be a scorer, and he was a guy that. Scored 41 points without a single post up or isolation touch against Detroit earlier this season. That's a special quality. But his shooting was so bad for so long that if it's somewhere in between the 30, 31% that he is right now and then the 36.6, I believe he was as a rookie, so we're talking a 33, 34% guy, that's still a below average type of shooter. I think that when you have other guys as part of the core where the shooting is a question mark, the guy who isn't that that good of a defender and doesn't provide a ton of value in other areas, I think it's hard to be a really valuable player where you're just a scorer and and you're not a shooter. Like, if, if Kuz could really let it fly from three, the player that he is right now, because he's got some passing ability, he can chase shooters off of screens, that's his primary defensive value, but if you're not a reliable shooter I think that the fit becomes awkward alongside everyone else and one of the things I've been thinking of lately and I don't know the answer to it and we can get to it in another show What does Kuzma and say the 10th pick in the draft get you and like you said his contract is pretty low so you're not gonna if if you take salary back you're eating into your cap space right so there are there are other factors like that that go into it, but uh, I, I do understand the question and the, the framing of that, you know, in terms of, uh, is that something that we should be looking at? Can, this is going to be a big summer for everyone, but go
2: ahead. Can I ask you just a side question of this and and, and we'll try to keep, keep this short. When you were talking about all of his shooting, one of the things that concerns me with the shoe shooting isn't necessarily the percentages it's... It's his eagerness
1: mm-hmm.
2: to continue to shots, shoot. And, and so my question to you is, is more along the lines of how much of a concern is his sort of mentality and shot selection considering his results play into how you feel about his shooting?
1: I would feel so much better if he was knocking down wide open shots and missing because he was taking too difficult shots. That That's something that that's like film work and reps and a coach getting on you saying, you know, stop taking dumb shots. Right. The, the fact of the matter is, is he's shooting in the low 30s on wide open threes. So that's something that's a lot more concerning than if it was something that it was just a shot selection issue. So, uh, all right, moving on. Next question comes from. Alvin, this is a simple question here. Based on his season, uh, do you think we should bring back Luke Walton?
2: I like Luke Walton. Someone had said something about Walton on Twitter the other day, and I can't remember if I replied to someone or quote tweeted or what I said, but or what the circumstances were. But I basically said that um, it would be so very much like present day Lakers for them to give up on a young prospect after his third year, only for him to develop into something better or to show the promise that they thought they had in him somewhere else. Because um, mm-hmm. that's been a general theme, I think, with some of the young players that the Lakers have give given up on. And now, I, now it looks very likely that they may give up on a young coach. This is a complicated question for me because... I think most of, because my perspective on this actually doesn't matter. (laughs) So I would, if it were me as an outsider looking in, um, in a vacuum, (laughs) I would bring Luke Walton back. Personally. Okay. I think that he has the ability to communicate with players. I think that he has a good temperament. Um, I think that he's done a fairly good job overall over his three seasons here of generating buy in and when he's gotten pushback against that um and started to lose, lose guys, found a way to get things back eventually. Um the thing is, is we don't operate in in a vacuum. If you could tell me that him and lebron would be able to find their way down the same path that's the biggest ingredient to me and the answer to that is something i just do not know and ultimately he has to find a way and i'm not saying that there's this big gap between them now because like i said i like i just don't know but him and lebron need need to be like thought partners in in a way that is going to create unity and real leadership in the locker room. And if that's not possible, then he probably should get fired, even if it's not fair, or even if I don't think it's right.
1: Yeah, that's something I'm sympathetic to Luke Walton's circumstances this year, but I still think that they need to let him go. Um, I don't think the plan on offense was good enough. If I agree with the point that, buy-in and collaboration with LeBron is perhaps the most important thing that you can get out of a Lakers coach. He had the opportunity to do that this year. I was not particularly impressed by what they came up with. You know, Lakers are 25th in offensive rating and that's just Unacceptable when you've got LeBron James On the team I understand the roster construction Uh, You know like I said I'm sympathetic To the circumstances that Luke's in with The trade rumors rumors about his job Since the beginning of the year Uh, He has generated buy-in With young players I also Think that a certain degree of that is Young players are going to be more likely to follow a coach, especially a young coach, than older players that have won. I think he had problems with the vets they brought in. Again, they did not bring in great vets along those lines, right? That They were potentially problematic from the beginning. But I think at the end of the day, he didn't do enough on the offensive end. And the offensive plan is not good enough to where... I can credibly argue that, hey, if things worked out the right way and if you had the right guys, this is a good system.
2: It's just... Do you think it would be different for him and things would be better on that front if he sort of revamped his staff?
1: Probably, yeah. But why hasn't that happened before like that that's something that's three years in the making lakers haven't been good on offense in any of those years they were 23rd 23rd they added lebron james and somehow managed to drop to 25th in the nba in offensive rating and i understand the conception of this year's offense was to try and build around around lebron james and kind of make up for some of the lack of shooting and the interesting roster construction they actually i think exacerbated the problems instead of alleviating them i'm working on videos right now for uh for silver screen on why the offense failed so this is something i'm particularly passionate about in the moment and there are so many plays where just like the idea of it is bad and you've got all of the like there's one play on there's like seven bodies in the paint there's four lakers or yeah three lakers and four defenders in the paint and it's not like some everybody collapses on lebron james type of thing it's kind of chickens with their heads cut off. It's just clutter. Yeah, it's just clutter. And part of it's, part of it's young players, but also part of player development is understanding like cut, fill, replace concepts. Those are motion offense concepts that are pretty universal that you should know in high school. And some of it's just like, just ill-conceived design. So yeah, they, could Luke bring in someone, some amazing assistance and remedy that to some extent? Yeah, he could. Does he have LeBron's buy-in at that point? Like, where's Luke's value add there? And I'm not entirely sure where that is. So um, let's move on, my man. I want to get to uh, more to as many of these as we can. Yes. Uh, my man Josh asks, thoughts on Mo Wagner's potential and him having a full offseason healthy this summer. What do you think he can be?
2: Um, I think he could be like, a rotation big man. I He doesn't look like a starter yet to me. Um, I like some of the things that he does on both ends of the floor, actually. He needs to get stronger in order to hold his defensive position a little bit more. I like his feet. I like the way that he moves. I like, um, like on the perimeter some. Um, I like his sort of instincts defensively, even if he's not necessarily always able to complete the play defensively. I like his activity on well on the backboards. He could be, to me, like a third or a fourth big man on a decent team, and probably a fourth or fifth big man on a good team, I think, over the next like year, year and a half. He'd really need to... The the way that I think he makes a jump isn't necessarily with all this, with a bunch of skill work. I think he makes a jump by sort of transforming his body and getting stronger and better basically becoming more of a knockdown shooter where he's living in that 35 to 38 percent range as a stretch big man if he could become that type of shooter then he has a real future in this league and could probably even start on a good team down the line when paired with the right sort of big man partner but that's a ways off though
1: it is. And you hit the nail on the head for me with the shooting ability. I, I've had concerns since he was drafted about his ability to def- defend and like what is his defensive role. And that's an important question for Biggs, but he wouldn't be the only guy in NBA history who's a big who could space the floor and not, you know, has some questionable defensive value. And he's got good hands. He, you know, he forces turnovers. He's always trying, right? And I do think
2: he's active with his feet. I like the way uh-huh. that he plays angles, especially yep. when yep. when like on the perimeter and like passing lane type stuff. So I like the way that he plays passing lanes. I like the way that he anticipates where, where passes are going. I like the way that he sort of drops his hips and slides, right? I think with better strength, he can like be better in terms of holding his ground on drives. And when... Um, A smaller player sort, sort, sort of puts his shoulder on him that that doesn't create the leverage to create separation, right? Like there's lots of little things that big men can do in order to be better defensive players, especially guys who don't have length, like elite length, which Wagner does not. So I'm not so low on him defensively where I think that he'll be like a complete minus, I think that he could be um, a small net negative or I'm sorry, a small net positive down the road. But he's not close to that yet, even though I think he does have some decent tools, especially if he's in a defensive scheme where where I think that that there's where the aggression is dialed up a little bit more and he has more athleticism on the wing around him to sort of cover and rotate behind some of his aggressiveness if he's sort of jumping passing lanes or or half fronting and 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 going for more steals but that's like a small part of being a defensive big man
1: yeah he's more of a perimeter defender than he is an interior defender what i was going to say though is that he has to become a legit shooter. He's shooting 30% from three-point range. This was an issue that he had in college as well where he was a really good spot-up shooter, but off of pick-and-pops, he was not at all, which tells me there's footwork issue, right? That's the difference between a spot-up and picking and popping. On a pick-and-pop, you have to get your feet right, whereas on a spot-up, you already have them where you want them to be. So that's work that he has to do over the course of the, the summer, the next couple summers, to get into that 30. I, I think he needs to be a high 30s type of guy um, because of my concerns on the defensive end. You mentioned his uh, strength and conditioning. That's been a big thing I've been harping on with him since the beginning of the year. He's got good feel, good motor. He talks more than just about anybody else on the court. He very much cares I think that he's someone that if he mastered the film room, he can combine that with his natural anticipation abilities. And that's how he could have a defensive role and maybe be a five in a lineup that switches everything. So he's not going to stay in front of your elite point guards or anything like that. But he can do a respectable job of that where it justifies him on the court. Uh, Josh, I know you're you're higher on him than i am um i do think he has some potential but i think a lot of it has to do with the type of shape that he gets his body in and then his footwork on his jumpers just being able to he has for example his follow-through i watch a lot of his pregame workouts um before before games at staples and his uh his follow-through is really inconsistent i have you know complaints about lakers player development of are these things being addressed and uh so those are things that i think he has to become a really knockdown guy before we get to that point
2: yeah His his arc varies so much on on his shot that it really does seem like a release point issue or there's just something there where I'm just like, okay, this shot's a rainbow and then the next one is maybe half that level.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, while we're on the topic of player development, uh, Byron Ash asks If you or Darius were asked to train and develop Lonzo Ball this summer, what issues would you attempt to address and how? We all know he has serious offensive deficiencies, but I'm curious as to your take on what the process of correcting them would look like. You first. Feet. I've been big on his feet since the, the beginning. Um, he has always struggled to stop. Part of my frustration with the timing of his injury is he started to do some things where I was like, yes, that's what I've been waiting for, right? Yeah. So when he comes off of screens, and watch Caruso, Byron, as you're watching the, the end of this season. Caruso has the same issues of once Caruso starts getting downhill, you rarely see him shoot a, a pull-up jumper or, or something like that. Lonzo has really good size as well that he needs to use more effectively when finishing around the basket. I think he jumps away from contact partly by technique and partly because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line. So for me, it would be a lot of like hard stop and dribble pull-up type stuff and and jump stops and just the little things that get you from going fast to slowing down to stopping things like that those and then that ability to change speed so you know hesitation dribbles hang dribbles uh things of, of that nature where he can he's really explosive especially for a guy for his size when he gets his going in a straight line he's really fast he needs to be able to control that a little bit more so there's so much focus for lonzo on his his weird shooting stroke and i do think he needs to revamp his stroke from the free throw line but more than anything else i think the getting his feet right and learning how to start and stop is going to unlock a lot for lonzo what do you see darius
2: yeah i see the same thing and just to sort of build on that idea um i think that some of the stuff that you're talking about in terms of like speed control and getting his his feet, right. I think that that's going to go hand in hand with, um, with refining his handle a little bit more. Um, you, you know, he is, he is very much like a straight line player. Um, and he is very much like a go, go, go player. And I think that refining some of his, some, some of his ball handling, learning to get a little bit lower, um, a little bit of change of direction, a little bit of the things that you were talking about in terms of like like hang dribbles and and hesitation. He could use a little bit of um, sort of big guard schooling Right, Like getting guys on on his hip a little bit more, which is so, sort of like coming off screens and, and like chopping your steps and getting low a little bit and getting a guy on your back. Those are all like sort of tricks of the trade. And we think a lot of times that things like that come from experience. But I also think that they come from a lot of skill work that he just hasn't had, I think, the opportunity to, to put in based off of how his summers have gone so i think that these two things sort of go hand in hand for me and and i agree with Sor, sort of revamping some of his shooting stuff especially from the foul line like where he's just not using enough leg he's like he's just a stiff board up there man and he's yeah. shooting it with yeah. all arm like like he needs which also too so, sort of goes into the footwork stuff but like more just like lower body training
1: yeah and he hasn't had much of an opportunity to do that with the injury issues and whatnot so this is a a huge summer for him I'm glad he's going into it healthy Uh, he's had some things in his personal life and with big baller and all that where it seems like he's taking a little more control of his life and of his career and I'm just really excited what he's going to come back as as a player next season so before we continue Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing that you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at ethos get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes just go to get that's e-t-h-o-s get so let's move on my man get back to the mailbag thank you to everybody for for the questions
2: all right so i got one now here pete it's from mike is what I'm assuming. P underscore Mike04. He's asking if we could do if we could redo one Magic Palinka decision. Which would you choose? Trading Lou Williams, letting Julius Randle go, trading D'Angelo Russell, or drafting Lonzo over the field, Fox, Tatum, etc. This
1: this might surprise you. I would pick letting Julius Randle go. And the reason for that is it's my understanding that Randall could have been had on a four year deal at what his cap hold was last year, which was 12.4 million. So you're looking at basically what Jordan Clarkson got in 2016, around four years, $50 million deal. I think that becomes, like, I think, I think D'Angelo Russell is the better prospect of, of him and Julius, but. I think they could have locked Julius in on a really good value deal that would have been totally tradable, really positive asset. We've, I mean, we saw how he played his last year with the Lakers. He's played very well with the Pelicans this year. Them not like deciding like, hey, yeah, maybe we had this plan, but this certain thing emerged, this player emerged, and we have a chance to lock them in on a reasonable deal that we can do a lot of different things with. He's going to be a good player for us next year, and if we need to move him down the line, not it wouldn't be a salary dump. Like You can get something back for a guy on a valuable contract in his mid to late 20s, which is basically the prime of his career. So that would be the one of those that I would redo. How about you?
2: Yeah, so not as a surprise, <laughs> I agree with you. But I agree with you with a bit of a caveat. I think that they should have built up a better rapport and relationship with Randall in order to go into this past off season with him not so eager and with not as many hard feelings built up to get to the point where, oh, it's clear that I'm not a priority. I want you to do this for me. Like, renounce renounce my free agent rights, right? And mm-hmm. let me become an unrestricted free agent. Because I actually think that the Lakers were sort of fine going into this offseason with a two max plan. And part of that was this idea that they were really going to have to renounce all of their people in order to get there. Now, Now, that's a fine line to walk with a player like Julius Randle. But I think that if they would have had a better rapport with him, it wouldn't have necessarily gotten to the point where they would have had to have let him out of his deal or risk him coming back super disgruntled if they were to have to to match an RFA offer for him. Right? Like, so... I'm not saying that they should have signed him to that four-year contract extension when that was out there. Because that was before the Lakers... It's my understanding that that offer was on the table or being put out there by Randall's people when he was extension eligible. So before... Last, I think it was before Halloween of last season because I think that that's when extensions would have needed to be signed, right? Right, and so that was before they had LeBron, that was before anything else. It was that's when the idea of we can sign two max players if our if we renounce all of our free agents that's when that was out there, and they were choosing to sort of say, No, we need to hold that open, right. But from that point to the summer, there was a lot that happened with Julius Randle where I don't think as as his play sort of started to blossom that they still sort of kept it out there like, you're not really a priority for us. And yeah. I think that they could have gotten on that train like, you're a priority for us, S- signing you to an extension now isn't the best thing for the future in terms of how we want to manage things but that does not mean that we don't value you that we don't want you as part of our future right like they could have just talked him up behind the scenes and i don't think that those were the types of conversations that were being had honestly.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's like once they decide something, it's done. So all of that's fair about him making real strides. You know, we had a Moala Caesar on the on the pod and talking about the work that they did on Julius's body, right? And he came back in the best shape of his career and, and he's maintained that to a certain, I think he's a little bigger this year, but um, he he's improved that element of, of his game. For me, like after Paul George said no and can you still get julius on like a 4 year 50 million dollar type of deal then after you get lebron like i i still do that if if possible right and yes. that means that we don't have max money going into this summer but To me, that's a really nice fallback option. That's like, hey, if say Kawhi wants to come, can you trade Julius Randle with three years left on his deal at twelve and a half million a year? Hell, yes, Yes. you can. With twenty plus teams with that type of cap space in the NBA, that you know, if if you got to give him away for free, right? Ideally, you could get something back, but you can make that happen. And if all of the guys say no, right? Hey, you still got a pretty good player. That's Julius. You know, yes, right. Julius Randle,
2: and he would have helped a ton this year.
1: Like, dude, yes. Let's just yeah, like at the five spot, man, like with all of the issues that we had at the five, he was central to what we were able to do defensively. And and you know how like, bro, LeBron and Julius in the same front court, like think of that from the perspective of other front court players. Like you're looking at that game coming up on your schedule in terms of just physicality, just like how you feel at the end of the game physically with those two dudes running into you over and over again. That He would have been fantastic for us this year and filled a real hole that we had.
2: Well, I would add to just one last thing about Randall is people talk about, you know, the lack of spacing um, that a player like Randall has and and as a big man you need to be able to space space the floor effectively one of the things that Randall does differently as a big man who tries to space because Randall does play a lot out on the perimeter is and I'm not gonna like compare him to Giannis in terms of effectiveness but what Randall does similar to Giannis is oh you're giving me all this space I'm just gonna take it away and eat it up Right, because you can handle the ball right so you're gonna play off me by 10 feet well guess what now i've got a head of steam on whatever angle i choose and i'm gonna eat up that 10 feet of space and now i'm much harder to stop because i'm so strong right and so so i i'm not while i think the spacing stuff is real i also think that it's not like he's like who would you rather have spacing the floor right would you rather have julius randall who when you swing the ball to him maybe no one is closing out on him but he's going to be able to eat up that space and get to 10 10 feet and in eight feet and in and create a viable scoring opportunity or would you rather have sorry to do this mike muscala spacing the floor <laughs> And basically, a guy who is not going to do that, he's going to shoot the open three and basically miss. Anyways. All right. Enough yes, about indeed. that. Because All right, let's more get pe-
1: more depressing. How about that? Get, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Patrick Cannon asks, what's the absolute worst case scenario for the Lakers this summer?
2: They fire the coach without a viable plan in place to get a replacement. They end up with someone who's probably a worse coach. Than Luke Walton they strike out in free agency so they sign a bunch of one-year deals again with guys and they maybe make a panic trade
1: yeah to try to improve I'm the
2: of. roster you know so maybe they trade Lonzo for like a neutral move right like m- maybe they make a three-way trade they send Lonzo to Phoenix let's speak it into existence um, That's not... <laughs> no, I'm just saying, right. Yeah. Um, and they end up with some poo poo platter of prospects, right? I don't know who they end up with in this scenario. I'm, I'm not even going to mention names because knowing my luck, those guys will end up on the team. Um, <laughs> I did this a few summers ago, I think four or five years, years ago, I, like I did this, where I said that the Lakers are probably going to end up with Byron Scott and Carlos Boozer. <laughs> yeah. So lesson learned, right? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm keeping my mouth shut about guys yeah. who I don't like this time around. But you, you know, so some combination of those things, or all. Uh, or all of the above, right? Like, they end up with a worse coach, they make a panic trade, they sign a bunch of one year guys to one-year deals, and suddenly they're, like, running in place, and they've essentially wasted another year of LeBron James.
1: Yeah, that that's similar to... The, the panic trade is the biggest thing that I have a concern about, in that I'm, you know, like, if we're getting Anthony Davis, like, I, I get it. And if they've got to pay a hefty price for that, I get it. Even if it's one year, part of the the insurmountable element of the Anthony Davis equation is that if they don't go hard after him over the course of the summer it may be hard to sign him in 2020 like clutch is going to want the Lakers to really go after him this summer right and it would be nice to be able to say well why pay a king's ransom for him when you can just sign him in 2020 well is a 35-year-old LeBron James going to be wanting to hear that, right? And does Anthony Davis start to look elsewhere at the behest of Rich Paul and,
2: and all of that, Or just right? do what's best for his career, right? Like, oh, sure. Yeah, do like Like, I mean, he has no allegiance to the Lakers.
1: No, no, certainly not. And and it's, it's good to be in, I think, what's perceived as the driver's seat to get him, but we all know that can change. That was true about Paul George, right? And I'm concerned that if they don't get like a Kawhi or Kyrie, like one of the upper tier guys that like, I'm afraid of like Lonzo and BI going out for someone other than Anthony Davis. And one of the parts about this summer is that the Lakers don't have a lot of salary on the books aside from lebron james and the ones that they do that make any decent amount of money because kuz barely makes anything josh barely makes anything that's lonzo and ingram just to make the math work in a lot of circumstances now they do have that cap space they can trade a guy into but ideally right they want to sign even if you're good and down to the jimmy butler kemba walker type of guys they have to be the type of guys that go out so do you end up with like jimmy butler and then trading the the kids for bradley beal who's very good right he's an all-star caliber player is he you know anthony davis no so i'm afraid my fear has been a long-term one in that i thought the lakers were really well positioned to make a run i don't know if you remember this when we first started doing the pod i had like 2020 circled on my calendar because Dang and Mozgov were going to expire we had these young guys a couple of whom would have to be extended by the time 2020 hit but we'd still have a lot of cap space Um, we were fortunate to get LeBron well before that but I always really envisioned this future where we had really high end sustainable success where we'd sign these max guys that as they were declining the young guys would be coming up and I'm afraid we're going to trade that for a two year window alongside lebron james and lebron is still a great player but not like alter everything you do you know completely change your timeline and get rid of everybody who doesn't fit it I- i'm not sure he's that good anymore so for me that's my that's my worst case scenario so darius Sten asks what would you be comfortable paying
2: kcp this summer a fond goodbye haha <laughs> A, a nice compliment. He rubs me
1: the wrong way, man. And he can like he can really get hot. He's got some defensive ability. Like I, I'm done with KCP. Than Rondo I'm done with KCP. Tell me, talk to me. You you are rarely this definitive. So no, I, I need to hear this.
2: It's like look, you know, you ever gone to a restaurant for like you know, over the course of a couple of years, I don't know, a half a dozen times, eight times, ten times, and you're like, you know, like. Like, oh, th- this meal was okay. I think next time I'm going to try this. And mm-hmm. then you go back and you're like, oh, you know, that was good, but hmm, I'm not sure. I think next time that thing looks good, like on the menu. Or maybe you see someone walk by and they're like, oh, that looked good. Maybe I'll try that <laughs> next time I'm here. <laughs> right? And then after a while you realize, you know what? Like, I'm not really that into this food. This restaurant is now off of my list that's basically KCP I'm not he's not a bad player <laughs> right he's just fallen out of favor with me to the point where I'm good yeah like the Lakers have had him for two years he's shown some real ability that's fine he's but he's been so up and down and some of the decision making is not there. So. My ideal type of player is if you're not a superstar type of player. Guys I really like are guys like Andre Guadalla. <laughs> it's and in a way this will speak to wh- why I also like like Lonto Ball for for example is these are guys who know how to really play and they understand The mechanics of the game and situational basketball to the point where they are seeing things ahead of time. KCP is sort of the opposite type of player. KCP is a guy who plays the exact way. His decision making is rarely, if ever, influenced by circumstance, by how well or not well he's playing. He basically is going to go about the game the same exact way and when his game is on it looks so good right the jumper is falling he's active and making plays defensively and everything is just like oh man like this guy can play and he's only 25 like wow give me more and more of this guy and then there are those games where you're just like what are you doing out there But what you realize is, is that it's the same thing every single time, right? Like, there's no, like, there's variance in how well he plays, but his approach never changes.
1: I also think, like, we'll never see it, (laughs) at least not these two years, but I think his type of decision-making is fatal in the playoffs. I think it becomes even more emphasized, that lack of awareness.
2: Yeah, he's just... I don't know, man. Like, I'm over it. So I,
1: I'm i with you on that. He is not somebody that we think of as one of the, like, guys who doesn't give consistent effort. But he's totally a guy who doesn't give consistent effort either. And there's a lot of pouting. He was probably the guy, and I think the feeling was mutual, that didn't like Luke Walton the most. And didn't like the minutes that he was getting. And he has, <laughs> he's had a sense of entitlement to him that I really dislike in terms of like the shots that he deserves the minutes that he deserves that just has not been supported by his play for me I want role players where I can depend on their effort level every night that's going to be something that you've got to be able to rely on on a night-to-night basis and the Lakers signed a ton of guys where their effort is inconsistent I can live with a jump shot coming and going and with you getting hot some nights and not you know that's that's one of the reasons Caruso's been a joy to watch is because I know he's gonna bring it every single night and I am just done with role guys who do not fit that bill like you have to be super talented to to get away with
2: that just compare and contrast him to Josh Hart yeah right Hart plays hard pretty much all of the time
1: on one leg for mo- and, half of this season. No.
2: And you can live with a player's foibles when they just go hard, right? Like, I'm perfectly fine watching Caruso play who's not as talented as, like, Rajan Rondo.
1: I think he's a better player than Rondo is at this point. Like, I'm, I'm not entirely sure he's not more talented than Rondo is at, at this point. Like, it's not entirely related to effort, too. But anyhow...
2: I think from a pedigree standpoint or whatever but I'm sure. but I'm with sure. you at this relative stage of their of both of their their careers I think that you could sway me in your direction for sure but your point about just him just playing hard all of the time and like a want to do the right thing that sort of shines through in 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 his play give me those guys all of the time the more talented they are the better right? But if they're, even if they're not as talented, I can live with, I can live with them.
1: No, I think we're, I think we're on the same page on that. So let, let's do two more. This well, I've one got one. Great. Look, okay, go for it. Go for
2: so it. So I've got one from Alvin Alvarez. He asked, if you have the power to improve one of these two things this off season, which, which do you choose the training staff or the analytics department?
1: The training staff. It don't matter if they're not on the court, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, And I'm not entirely convinced that the analytics department is bad. I think that there is the communication from the analytics department to the coaches, and this can break down in any number of ways. So say you have a good analytics department. They do good work individually. You've got to turn that into actions that actually happen on the court. For me, like the training staff and just the ability to get guys healthy and to set, you know, reasonable timelines, all of that, that's easy choice for me. How about you?
2: Before I answer, are you down on the train, training staff? Like, would you actively want to see changes at this point? Or do you think that just some of what we're seeing is just bad luck? Uh, I mean, part of it's bad
1: luck, sure. Look, the results on in terms of, like, games missed for... Big time players. There's a lot of that. Now that doesn't mean that's their fault, right? Yeah. Lonzo steps on someone his ankle. That you know you can't stop that. Their reputation is not particularly good. Is that something where everybody just kind of agrees that that they're not great? But like, I don't know what what is the argument for them. Yeah, I have a hard time putting that together.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I would probably go with the trained training staff as well. I don't know enough about the analytics department. And to be fair, I actually don't know enough about, like, the training side either, right? But the point that you led with, I think, is the most important one. As the old saying goes, like, the greatest ability is availability. And I think that the training staff plays a part in that, you know, from the training staff to strength and conditioning one of the things that that i've been most disappointed with this year just in terms of the injuries in general is just some of the messaging around it and and like setting proper expectations and getting a sense of like where players are and just what accurate timelines are you 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 know like i mean and it started early man like you like Mo Wagner got hurt in summer league and
1: right. It was two and a half months later. Remember we were talking about this last year too. This isn't just something that's unique to this season.
2: Yeah. Anyways, like I I don't want to crap on these areas where like I'm by no means an expert. Right. (laughs) Right. It's just been frustrating. The health stuff has, has been frustrating and it would be helpful to me if the frustration that in general came from injury stuff wasn't compounded by some of the the messaging around this stuff too, if that makes sense. Anyways.
1: Alright, one last one. Uh this comes from Amir Blumenfeld. This is a great question. I'm I can't wait to hear your answer for for this, Darius. Is there a difference between a great coach and a great coach to have when LeBron James is on your team?
2: Y- yes and no. <laughs> I, I had to get one in there. I think the best coaches are both.
1: What what is the difference though between like cuz there are I, I agree with what I think Amir is implying in this and that. You can you can be a great coach and not necessarily a great coach on a LeBron James team.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. So Mark Stein recently reported that a name that the Lakers might have interest in if they were to let go of Luke Walton. Was Rick Carlisle.
1: Yes. I was going to bring this up.
2: Yes. And Carlisle has often butted heads with his point guards. Now, LeBron James is not a point guard, but LeBron James is a point guard. <laughs> um, and he, Carlisle is known to call a lot of plays. He's known to be um, a bit acerbic with players at times. I think that he's had his most success. I think him and Dirk have actually been like a great pairing because Dirk is like sort of like a laid back, take everything in stride type of guy who's also like uber competitive. Right. Which is sort of like a rare mix. I feel like mm-hmm. in mobile well, in the modern NBA or in the NBA in general. And and, and so I think Carlisle might be the type of example that I would circle here as someone who is clearly a great coach who might not match up well with LeBron, right? Whereas I think a guy like like Pop or like prime Phil Jackson or even Pat Riley might be able to find his way in with LeBron a certain way.
1: I would pay to see Popovich coach LeBron in that What I think it comes down to is, are you able to let go of some control of how the offense runs in particular without letting him walk all over you? And that's a real balancing act, right? Because if you go in too far in one direction or the other, you're running into problems of him trampling all over you, which teammates are going to see. Or if you're too controlling, then he's going to have issues with You're not letting him be one of the greats of all time and and doing his thing. So for me, Carlisle is a perfect example of somebody who is a great coach, but would not be a great coach for LeBron because of that demand for control. It goes too far in that direction. I wonder if Popovich could be that too. Popovich, his thing that he always said is, I've always wanted guys who are over themselves, right? And that's who we look for with San Antonio. LeBron is a lot of things but over himself is not one of them. And and to me that's okay. Like that has a negative connotation to it. I love the Kobes, the Magics, the LeBron's, the guys who like they're out there doing their own damn thing and like you are either coming with them or you're against them. I like that, right? But that seems like a clash waiting to happen with like a Popovich and a LeBron. Whereas I do think O'Reilly or uh you know, I think Doc Rivers would have been a really good coach yeah. for LeBron had, had he been available. Those type of guys that have command of the room, but are not necessarily micromanaging every element of what's going on on the court.
2: The one thing I'd say about the pop thing that I would push back slightly against is that LeBron, his his instincts, though, are still to play, like, quote-unquote, the right way. So... LeBron will yeah. still, like... I feel like LeBron will still make the extra pass. He will still play an unselfish brand of basketball.
1: I just have a hard time envisioning LeBron running through, like, motion strong. And, you know, different, like, sure. all of the sets that... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, he plays the right way. He makes the extra pass. It's also give LeBron the damn ball and get out of the way. <laughs> sure. It's a lot of and what LeBron does. And I have a hard time envisioning Popovich being that cool with that.
2: You know, I'm not going to stand for Greg Popovich here, but he, he found his way with like Parker and Ginobili as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. And he also got them
1: young and he like cracked the whip on them. He
2: did. A lot during that. And, and then, and then ultimately their talent won out. So I'd be very interested to see sort of like, there are all these stories about sort of how pop managed, like, like team USA stuff as well, right? So, I'd be very interested to sort of see how he would walk that line with like a player like LeBron, right? And not in like an all-star environment. But it's it's a great question, man, like I like I think ultimately though, the type of guy you need for for LeBron is someone who is accessible, someone who will sort of sort of like see him and accept him as a peer, right? I'm saying accept LeBron as as a peer or or even defer to him in ways that empower LeBron while also having a certain cachet in terms of communication to be able to get through to the rest of the team and a precise type of Xs and Os acumen in terms of making adjustments that show up in game situations right and it's like a very interesting venn diagram for the right type of lebron james coach and it's one of the reasons why i actually haven't given up on luke walton in this regard even though i know that you're more down on him from an x's and O standpoint than i am like I'd be very interested to see a Luke Walton coach team where just even like 75% of the players actually had you, you know, even like just 75%, man. Yeah.
1: I I'm skeptical of that and we'll probably won't know at least. And and we'll probably never see it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But Luke's a young guy. He'll find himself as an assistant soon or as a college head coach soon and, and he'll be all right. So, um, Thank you to everybody for your questions. We actually have a bunch of them that we didn't get to. A lot of them have to do with like off-season moves. So we're going to give it a couple weeks. I'm going to save these and get back to them because they're still going to be relevant as we enter the draft in the off-season, And we'll get to more of those questions in a future episode in two, three weeks or so. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time.
2: me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound <laughs> I up. I
1: know it does
2: take you a lot of think. Rebound of Lottie. Nice rebound. Oh! badging oh, ahead and go to fake those other it score What a standing ovation slip the crowd. I think that
1: is a cosmetic
2: call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these <laughs> idiots out of here?